Today, we have Sonia Kamal, a Pakistani-American writer who has written two novels, An Isolated Incident and Unmarriageable, with us to talk about her book, Unmarriageable. If you haven't listened to our discussion of the book, go now and listen to the previous episode where we discuss Unmarriageable. And now, let's bring Sonia on. Hi, Sonia. Welcome to Brown Girls Read. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. Such a pleasure. We loved your book, Beyond Words, both of us. <laughs> like, we just basically binged on it. We really want to know how you came up with the idea to retell the story and what inspired you. Okay, well, it's, I'm so happy to hear that you both binged on it and you both <laughs> liked it that much. Um, it's always such a joy to hear that. Two things, really. Uh, one, um, I was when I was growing up, I came across in my own independent reading a speech by Thomas Babington Macaulay during the British Empire, in which he was giving a speech to British Parliament in 1835. And in fact, the epigraph, one of the epigraphs of unmarriageable quotes from that particular speech, in which he lays, um, suggests, recommends that throughout British Empire, English should replace indigenous languages. English should become the official language. And I realized suddenly the policy behind why I was speaking English, why in so many of the post-colonial, so-called post-colonial countries, English is being spoken. It took me by surprise. I'd never been taught that. And I was also very shocked and it was very unsettling. I sort of wanted to do something about that, which is I've grown up in the Pakistani culture and I wanted to take the English language, which is an official language of Pakistan since 1947 after partition, but I wanted to take the English language I'd grown up with, as well as the Pakistani culture I'd grown up with, and um, do something with that um, in response to Macaulay's policy. And Jane Austen has always been a favorite author of mine. And I remember the first time I read Pride and Prejudice, it seemed the quintessential uh, Pakistani novel. I mean, it's about a mother and five daughters, and she's trying to get her daughters married off. Looks like in any way, shape, <laughs> and form possible. And that was just... It was, it was just South Asia in a nutshell right there. Jane Austen didn't know she's Pakistani. In fact, I called, started calling her Jane Kala. So when I, after reading uh, Macaulay's um, address to British Parliament, I am deciding that I wanted to write in response to that almost. I figured I'd take Pride and Prejudice and reset it in Pakistan. And in fact, during an interview, uh, Professor Nalini actually called it Macaulay's worst nightmare. <laughs> so I think the the project I had in mind <laughs> came to pass because I don't think Unmarriageable could receive any bigger compliment really because it was recognized for what what I'd been trying to do. That's how the novel came about. That's why I wrote it. Yeah, even in the book you had you have mentioned, like even in the story through Alice and Darcy, you've mentioned that how, you know, language can I mean, people are the same everywhere and languages are just a way to communicate and it shouldn't be that, you know, it shouldn't be so strict that one language has to dominate over the others. That It's good to see the backstory behind behind that thought. Yeah, thank you. One of the things that was super striking to me was the name of the book, Unmarriageable. And it's so striking and, you know, it just attracted me to the book even more. Uh, so how did you come up with the name? Um, in the most unmarriageable fashion, I was struggling um, about what to write the novel because I what to name the novel because I wanted a one word title. Titles can sometimes come to you immediately, but with this novel, it didn't come to me like that. I was on a family vacation with my partner and my in DC, 
And I was insisting that a certain painting I wanted to see was at a certain museum. And he was saying, no, it's at another museum. And I walked off thinking to myself, oh, he's so un unmarriageable. And I was like, oh, I have my title. And immediately I turned, I was like, oh, thank you, I have my title. So <laughs> like I always like to joke, marriage has its uses. So that, that's literally how the title came around. Oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I love it because there's an inbuilt in conflict in that word, unmarriageable. But also there isn't a single person who, you know, usually who, who, who doesn't tell me that, oh, I'm unmarriageable or I've heard it from, you know, I've been told I'm unmarried. But I'm like, everyone is unmarriageable. Even the people married are unmarriageable. Well, that's like another universal truth right there. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> everyone is unmarriageable. <laughs> so Pride and Prejudice has already been made into a, a movie. And it has al also been made into a South Asian movie, which is Pride and Prejudice with Aishwarya Rai. But if you were to create a movie out of this book, who would you want to star in it? You know, when movies are made and actors are cast, then, then all of a sudden, for a lot of readers, there's a face to the characters. And so far, I'd, I've never done that. I don't want to do that. In fact, sometimes I'll, I'll try to avoid the movies and whatnot before I read a book because I don't want that person's face on the story. I mean, sometimes you can't avoid that. So I, I haven't, I, I haven't really thought about. I think someone would really like the cover. Someone with really short hair. I think for me, that's, that's quintessentially Alice, which is just really short hair and very curly hair. And she keeps it shorter than, like sometimes in, in, you know, in, in Pakistan, India, et cetera, Bangladesh and South Asia. You know, we'll cut our hair short, but it's always a bob and it's always, you know, it's always sleek and stuff. But Alice has got a really, really short haircut. So yeah, no, I, I totally agree it. with you, Sonia. Yeah. Like when they put the face to the story, it sometimes yeah. takes away your experience as a reader. Like I have a copy of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, but it's the paperback edition with the movie poster on it. And I hate yeah. it so much. <laughs> like honestly hate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially especially if it's someone sometimes that you don't necessarily, you know, are all that fond of. But the thing is, like, even with this particular cover, like, my hardback cover is this blue one, you know, and it doesn't have any faces or anything. And, I, and I'd asked for peacocks in homage to uh, one of uh, Austin's most popular covers, which has this lovely peacock tail on it. So I wanted I wanted peacocks on it, and this is what they gave me, and I told them no faces. So when it came to the paperback, they gave me faces <laughs> and I was like, okay. It's because even this can sort of, you know, it, it's sort of imprinting in a way instead of letting your imagination go free and decide who, what, what your characters look like, what they might be wearing and stuff. But it's okay. I, I, I think I, I was okay with this cover because even though it gives us faces, it still doesn't give us enough face to spoil anything that we want to imagine. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, the beautiful thing is if a movie is made of something, that's wonderful. But yeah, sometimes the downside can be that. But it can be an upside for a lot of people too. So it just depends what sort of a reader you are. Do you like to imagine a certain actor and their face when you're reading or not? It can go both ways. Yeah, that's true. I think a lot of the movies, a lot of the books that have been turned into movies, like because in my mind, there's a different face of the character when I read the book yeah. and when I see like a super famous star like starring in that movie I'm like oh this is not supposed to be that character <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I think also, I feel like these days no matter what movie you make like if you make a South Asian movie it's gonna be Dev Patel and I don't want to <laughs> yeah. see another movie with him 
<laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. So sometimes people can catch the certain casting imagination, and then a lot of movies come out with them. And 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 I have to say, Dave has the ability to look very different in a lot of different roles. So he's very versatile in that way, which I guess is really good because so you ne- you never quite expect which avatar he's going to show up in. Yeah. So yeah, I also have a book question for you. You've written all these characters so beautifully. Yeah. But is there a favorite for you? I I like everyone. Everyone is my favorite in little ways. Even the villains are my favorite in little ways because I don't know. Maybe I wrote them, so I feel I I, I have a special connection to all of them. I think perhaps in in this particular in Unmarriageable, I would say Kitty maybe because she's fighting against fat phobia, or at least her mother and one of her sisters really bullies her about being you know, not what they think as some ideal body type, which has been told to them by society and magazines and movies and stuff. And Kitty is not. She's the only sister in these five sisters who actually um, is a plus size girl. And um, she wants to find pride in her body. And that can be very hard if you've got family members like her mother and lady, her sister Lydia, who are constantly putting her down for that. And I, you know, there's nothing in Unmarriageable that Kitty hasn't heard that I haven't heard, actually. So every insult you, she, she gets in there every, every, I've heard it personally. And in fact, I chose not to use the more terrible ones because I said, no one's going to believe this, that people can be so harsh and have no filter. But I think uh, the culture depicted in the novel and South Asian culture in general sometimes tends to have no filter. People you barely know, you're meeting them at a wedding for the first time and they'll let you know exactly what they think of you, looks-wise, this-wise, or, or you know, like, or, or sometimes you're, you're on a plane going somewhere and people will want to know, what's your job or what's your husband's job? How much do you make? How much do whatever? Like they ask, there's no filter. They just ask, are you married? To whom? If you're not married, why not? It's like, I, I came out to college in the US. So I've had plenty, I would go back um, to Pakistan winter and summer so I've had plenty of absolute strangers sitting next to me asking me the most absurd things it's a fairly filterless culture like that and you know there are a lot of people who um, are a bit shocked that how can people be so mean to Kitty and say such things and I'm like (laughs) I think a lot of Pakistani girls hear a lot of things and perhaps Indian girls also hear a lot of things which are not polite (laughs) Yeah, I love Kitty too. Uh, Probably (laughs) also because I've heard a lot of that and I don't doubt any of that is like, you know, created out of thin air. Yeah, yeah. So so she's she's one of my favorites because I think she still manages to, um, you know, she still manages to find herself and speak up for herself, especially by the end. But I like them all. I mean, Lady is a terrible character. She's very self (laughs) into herself and she can be quite mean. But there are moments of her which are, she's, she's, she's so young, she's just 15. You know, hopefully she'll grow. But there's a moment in there with Lady also where um, she's on the dance floor at the Naderfeed wedding. And she's, she's a guest. She doesn't, she's not a personal, you know, she's not a relative. She's not a close family friend, but she starts to dance and they take her off the dance floor. And that happened to me when I was younger. Everyone's like, <laughs> so, you know, I, I connected with all of the characters in, in, in little ways, in different ways. Or or the character of um, Annie, who is a mirror character of Jane Austen's Anderberg. And in Pride and Prejudice, Anderberg doesn't say a word at all. She's completely silent. 
And I wanted to change that around. So Annie speaks a lot in the book. She's, you know, she has her own opinion. You know, she's she's a disabled character in the novel. And I, I wanted to give a voice to Anne de Berg and my Annie through that. So I tried to put a lot of different things in, in Unmarriageable. But also a quick uh, note, uh, just that um, Unmarriageable is actually a parallel retelling of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. So because I wanted to, you know, write back to Macaulay, write back to that policy, I didn't do a sequel, prequel, or inspired by. I literally took Pride and Prejudice and I set it in Pakistan. You know, you'll see all the characters, all the plot of uh, Pride and Prejudice, but there are new characters also, uh, like um, Mr. Bennett's brother in, in Unmarriageable. There's all five of the Bennett sisters have their own issues going on. Like I said, Kitty's fighting fat phobia. Lady just wants to have a good time. But what does a good time mean in a culture, you know, which prescribes what it means to be a good girl? Don't laugh too loudly. Don't have too much fun. Your reputation matters. And not just your reputation matters, but if you do something, it's going to have an effect on your sisters or your family. So poor lady, she just wants, you know, if she'd perhaps been born in some other place, time, culture, it might have been different. She just wants to have fun, but she gets into, you know, she, she gets into a pickle because of that, because of where she is. You know, so, so even though it's a parallel retelling, it's also very much its own novel. So even if you have not read Pride and Prejudice, if you know nothing about Jane Austen, it's still a book that you can read and enjoy. And, and several of the readers have actually, a lot of my readers have come to Unmeasurable without having ever read Pride and Prejudice or Jane Austen. And, and it's been a ridiculously immense uh, compliment because they're like, we, we re- see, yeah, because I thought people would come from Jane Austen and Pride and Prejudice, but they're like, we read Unmeasurable first and now we're going to read Austen. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a really, yeah, that's a really great compliment. Yeah. Yeah. I'm used to it now, but the first couple of times I heard it, it was extremely unnerving. I was like, that sounds weird. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. And since we're on the, like, you know, the characters, one of the characters that I loved was Sherry. And yeah, you know, like I always imagined uh, that Sherry would emerge out to be like a very courageous woman who would break the barriers uh, of the society and, you know, shun these norms of marriages. (laughs) And, you know, she'll be like, okay, so I am not going to get married. And I I would just, you know, start something of my own or something like that. I, I thought that would be the ending like that would be her character's you know progression but she ended up choosing Farhat Khalil mm-hmm. um, which is actually also super realistic and that's why you know the novel <laughs> is so realistic because girls who are ambitious and you know who are very brave and courageous in our South Asian cultures they end up you know somehow somewhere like compromising their dreams or for various reasons so yeah. Yeah, You know, I, I'm not going to call it a compromise. I think it's a compromise if you don't want to get married and then you end up marrying someone or anyone at all. That is a compromise. I think sometimes we confuse wanting to get married with settling down because, you know, we're so often grown up being uh, brought up, being told settle down, settle down, just settle down. So sometimes we often make a huge mistake of just settling down rather than perhaps waiting for who we really might want to be with. And unfortunately, again, that comes with a culture which is so heavily invested in marriage. I call it the marriage industrial complex in Pakistan <laughs> because um, marriage is so important. But the thing is, Alice does never says she doesn't want to get married. She just doesn't want to marry the wrong person. She, same with Sherry. It's not that she doesn't want to get married. She just she wants to marry someone that, you know, she sees that she can have a future with. 
The thing also is that in Muslim culture in, in Pakistan, uh, which is a Muslim majority country, premarital sex is a crime. It's a sin. So, well, in order to have sex, you have to get married. <laughs> so, so a lot of people, you know, a lot of men, women or, or men who are, who are religious, then obviously you do have to get married for that reason. And as I've shown uh, Sherry in the book, she absolutely would like to indulge in, <laughs> in, in those activities. So for her, you know, I, she gets married for that for, for a lot of, a lot of reasons. You know, when I first read Pride and Prejudice, everyone always says, and rightly so, that Elizabeth Bennett is the, you know, she's a, she's a modern girl and progressive girl. And, and she is, of course, but I always found Charlotte her friendship, who is Sherry and Unmeisel, I would found Charlotte to be equally so. Because, um, number one, uh, the way Austin writes it, Charlotte receives that, okay, Elizabeth, her friend, does not want to marry Mr. Colin, but he's good enough for her. She's happy being married to him. So she, she almost makes him propose to her. You know, she orchestrates it. She sees him, she sees him walking down the lane from her bedroom window and she meets him accidentally. And next we know they're getting married. And I always remember, I used to read that and I'd be so curious, what happened between these two lines? You know, what did she say to me? How did this happen? And I wanted to, in Unmarriage Bill, write in between those lines. I wanted to fill in that story. What happened to Sherry? How did she end up getting married? Why did she want to get married, etc.? What does it mean within this particular country and culture to get married? I think one of, I think my most saddest moment in writing Unmarriage Bill was actually when, um, when Sherry goes, it really was sad. I, and I'm going to try not to cry right now, but it's when Sherry goes to meet Prince, you know, she's engaged and she goes in to meet Principal Nahid to tell her that she's planning to not work, to quit. And Principal Nahid notices who she's marrying and suddenly her tone changes, you know, because she was going to tell Sherry, you're responsible. How dare you? And suddenly when she sees that she's marrying the so-called VIP, you know, she's suddenly polite and, and Sherry goes into the bathroom and cries. Because she realizes that in this culture, it's not just getting married. Unfortunately, it's also who you're getting married to, you know? So there's so much pressure put on girls often that, you know, yes, get married, get married, but then who are you going to marry? What's so, so, you know, keep your reputation good. Be pretty. Don't cut your hair. Don't do this. Don't do that. Be, be a good girl. Be on your best behavior because somehow some stupid prince, some rich prince is going to come and descend on you. It's so, there's so many nets and webs and stuff that are cast internally and psychologically on girls. And it's sometimes very hard for them, for often for people to break free. And I think even like with Sherry, like what you said, like you wanted to show them, like show the readers the meaning of freedom in a culture that does not support freedom for women too much. I think she finds her own freedom in some way, right? Like she gets, she, she like, she breaks the shackles of, whatever was holding her and she finally goes out and you know makes Parat Kalin propose to her and then she gets married and then she was happy like this was this is like a yeah. good you know like yeah a good, I mean um, I wanted to do some of I wanted to write a few subversive things also right because often mm-hmm. you think oh if you get married then you, you know like you use the word right. that you've settled down and you've made the wrong choice and if you're you know, if you're a modern girl or a progressive woman or this, that and the other, then you, sh- you perhaps don't want to get married. And I don't think anyone, everyone wants some sort of companionship. I mean, whether you're straight, LGBTQ, whatever, you know, everyone wants a partner companion. You can be career oriented. You can have your, Sherry's working. She earns. Unlike in Austin's time where women 
you absolutely did have to get married. They weren't, you know, they couldn't work. So, you know, marriage was not love. Marriage was very much financial security, stability, which is where marrying the best possible, you know, came up. But in unmarried contemporary Pakistan, women are so many women are highly educated or so many women have so many options to make a living and not necessarily have to get married. But I wanted Sherry to get married. I wanted my characters to get married because it's not marriage is not the issue. The issue is being forced emotionally into getting married into, you know, your age, you're now 25, it's too late, you're getting older, right. just marry, whatever. So those are the sort of things I subversively wanted to address. Not, you know, like, oh, feminists don't want to get married. Of course they mm-hmm. do. Who doesn't want to get married? I mean, some some women don't want to get married. Some men don't want to get married. And that's perfectly fine. I think you've done it very beautifully because we Thank were talking you. about the book Thank earlier you. and there's just so much to unpack. And being <laughs> from India, we just related to so much of the cultural nuance yes, that yes. is in the book. All the little things about how parents are, how society forces you. Oh, even as girls, you can feel either pressured or confused into realizing what what it is that you actually want to do. Absolutely. Are you doing it because of pressure or is it yes. something you really, really want? That is why I wrote Unmarriageable also, because I wanted to explore what freedom means in, in this context. I don't think there's anyone who hasn't read Unmarriageable and been like, oh, my God. That's that. That's either my mother, or that's sort of like my mother, or this is this is you know this is what I grew up with also, which is which is very nice to hear, but very sad to process because I'm like, oh my yeah. god, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, we are all just like children of patriarchy, right? Most of the cultures are patriarchal, yeah, and this is a product of it, right? Even even the ones you know, like in 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 and in the cultures which we might not think of as being children of the patriarchy what what i've seen happening you know, where where marriage has sort of lost that thing like like in certain cultures you don't you can live together you don't have to get married right you've still found someone but you're living together you're not married per se the next pressure i see seems to be when you're gonna have a child oh i want to be a grandmother or oh, whatever so there's always some sort of at least that's what i've noticed some sort of pressure somewhere which makes sense also, I guess maybe parents would like to have grandchildren, you know, grandparents would like to have grandchildren. On the other hand, it's still a pressure mm-hmm. and all these things. You know, it's, it's the age old thing about community versus individuality. Community can be a lovely thing until it's suffocating. And individuality can also be a lovely thing if you are in a place which allows that to flourish rather than branding you as, um, you know, all sorts of horrible things which you're not. So, <laughs> I speak from it. That's but yeah, really I true. To... Sonia, so we are a book podcast and we read a lot. One of our favorite questions is asking our guests what their reading habits are. So what's your favorite genre to read and what are some of the books that are you reading right now? Oh, my goodness. I love to read everything. I, I, I try to stay away from the horror genre. Just because I don't, I don't watch horror movies really, and I don't, um, and I don't read horror. Just because I don't want those things in my head, whether it's ghosts or whether it's just any of that stuff. And the older I'm getting, the less I want that around. Other than that, I read, I read if it's recommended to me enough by people I trust, I will read absolutely anything. For the longest time, I tended towards books which explored um, nationalism and patriarch, patriarchy also, but patriotism and uh, wars and um, what it means to survive in civil wars and in international wars, to go through very traumatic experiences. 
and to somehow come out of them. And what does survival mean? What does trauma mean? I was sort of drawn to books like that. It really, you know, be it set in 1947, be it set in the Holocaust. But I think in, in recent times, those can get a bit heavy. I mean, my favorite authors, I have to say, at least the ones that have influenced me the most, are there are um, definitely Thomas Hardy, E.M. Forster, and Austin. But I also absolutely love um, Virginia Woolf, Edith Wharton, Scott Fitzgerald. And are you writing anything right now? Any new book we can hope for? I am writing too many things. And because of that, I'm also writing nothing. (laughs) 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 Which is the absolute truth. I don't know what's happened to my attention span. Whatever the hell comes to the end is what I will have written. And I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I like how honest this answer is. <laughs> um, I, I've gotten into the terrible habit of starting things and not finishing. Yeah, that's. I think that's that's fine for now. Like also, that's everyone during COVID. I COVID, think. yeah. You know, I've struggled a lot to get published. My publishing history is it's a horror story. Maybe that's why I don't like to horror books. <laughs> it's a horror story. <laughs> horror story, and it's been very hard. And I think once. Unmarriageable finally came out and people started reading it and loving it and just word of mouth has been phenomenal. I mean, I don't know how you guys came to it, right? It's we're in twenty twenty one and and um I think and, I found the audiobook a while ago and I don't okay. know, maybe the title was the reason okay, and I listened you, to the right. and I've been telling every single person please right. find so, the audiobook. So, <laughs> audio is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. So you know, so there you go. There's a bit of word of mouth for you there and and, and people, you know, so people were reading it and I, like I said, I struggled so much to finally get published. I just wanted to enjoy it. You just never, you never know with life, right? <laughs> and I was like, let me just, let me not worry about another book right now, another whatever. Let me just enjoy what I have right now. And that enjoyment has been one year, two year, now third year. <laughs> and I'm now finally at the point where I'm like, okay, enough enjoyment. We are so happy that you became a writer because we loved reading this book and we would love to read <laughs> yeah. more from you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Dhamma. Thank you, you know, Sonia, so much for joining us. This has been great talking to you and hearing you talk about your book and your writing process. It's always great to know like behind the scenes stories from the authors <laughs> that we love. And yeah. we are looking forward to your next book. So Thank you so much. But now, no pressure, Sonia. Yeah, I was about to say no pressure. <laughs> Hopefully one day. But um, but yeah, no, thank you so much for saying that. You know, um, so many, so many, so many. I get so many messages about unmarriageable, um, sometimes publicly, but so often privately also, where, you know, girls, girls, you know, women, girls will say that they've seen themselves in it, you know? And, and what that means to them because they're struggling in marriages they didn't maybe want or they're younger and they're struggling against mothers or families who want to push them in a certain direction and, and, and they love Alice and they love everyone. So, you know, when you become a writer or when you write something, you know, I think for most writers, the thing is, even if I change, you know, if I'm, even if I'm able to bring a smile or a thought to one person's life, then, you know, I've, I've accomplished something. And at this point, I've beyond accomplished them. I'm still processing it. I didn't expect <laughs> it. So, so yeah, that's a beautiful message. I think. Yeah, thank uh, you. I hope everyone in 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 India, Pakistan, South Asia, etc., does read it. It was written for you. Mm-hmm. It was written for Pakistanis, for Indians. It was written for us girls who come from this culture, and for everyone who can relate to it. But I wanted to give, you know, yes, we can read Austin and Pride and Purpose, but I wanted to give something which, you know, we can see our faces, our colors, our definitely. Issues 
our problems, our lives. And it's a fun book. It's a funny book, right? Yeah. And they're going to plays, they're jogging in parks, they're arguing about boys, all sorts of things. So it has its serious stuff, but it's a funny, fun book. I don't want anyone to think, oh, but, uh, but you know, but it's written for, it's written for all us brown girls. So thank you for having me on your wonderful podcast. Thanks for podcast. joining us, Sonia. This Thanks was great. Thanks for joining us, Sonia. Thank you so much. For our next episode, we are reading We Were Never Here by Andrea Bartz, a thriller mystery set around two friends. We are really excited to bring our discussion of the book to you. Until then, 